Hi, my name is Raymond Han. I'm going to read to you one of my short stories entitled Reflections. Reflections is set in the late 1960s in Singapore. Timing, timing, crack his mother's voice. Have you finished pounding the chili? She finally appeared at the doorway to the kitchen, having given up getting a reply from Kai Ming. What are you daydreaming about? said she. Kai Ming was lost in his own world as usual. His mind was still throwing up the adventures of the famous five in the Annie Brighton book, Five Go Adventuring Again, which he had read the night before. How he longed to be in England, having the adventure of his life. It was such fun, what with George, Anne, Julian, and Dick. Not forgetting, of course, good old Tim, their pet dog. Timing wasn't lonely in Singapore when he was with these guys. Their company kept him occupied most days when he wasn't outside playing. It was the only world he liked, though it was only make-believe. Fiction, but it didn't matter to him. He was comfortable. He was satisfied and at peace with himself. It was only when he had to put away the book that he was reading that he abruptly entered the mundane world again. A slap on his shoulder put an end to his daydreaming. He was back in the real world again. Daydream, all you know is daydreaming. Buck his mother. I, I, was all Kaiming could mutter. Then his mother stopped her racket. Mine, mine, what nice ground chili you have done for me. I do declare this must be the best you have pounded so far. Kaiming had got used to his mother's whimsical mannerisms. He washed his hands and darted out of the kitchen into the living room. Home to him was in Queenstown, the earliest public housing estate in the country. There was only one bedroom, into which crowded the entire family at bedtime. The kitchen was a narrow, short passage, barely two meters in length, leading into the balcony, where a long bamboo blind shielded the occupants from the direct rays of the sun while they were having their meals. Adjacent stood the toilet come bathroom, a narrow cubicle with a water urn for bath use and a squatting pan at one end. The floor in the whole flat was all bare cement screed. There was no grill gate attached to the front doorway. A cane chair, a foldable table and four stools dotted the spartan living room. Of course, there was the ubiquitous altar cabinet on which stood a statue of the Goddess of Mercy, which his mother would talk to every morning, afternoon and night without fail. He could not understand how she could connect with the Goddess, who was in another dimension. Day in and day out, she would remind him to burn joysticks for the Goddess, and day in and day out, he would find ways and means to avoid doing it. His mother wanted him to talk to the Goddess, that wasn't a point. He was afraid she would answer him, and he wasn't prepared for that situation. Not yet anyway.
So it was with great reluctance that he had to burn joysticks to ask the goddess to bless father and mother and big sister and him. He had no choice this time. His mother was standing behind him. Oh well, better luck next time, he thought to himself. The family's only means of entertainment was a radio fusion set blaring away from the wall where it was perched. The Rediffusion radio service had kept many a household entertained then. Mandarin programs were unheard of at the time. The programs which were broadcast were all in dialects. This service was one of the few luxuries the typical Singapore household of the time could afford. Then every boy wore singlets. There were no jeans, no t-shirts, and no McDonald's to speak of. The few games played by youngsters were Kutikuti, Five Stones, Hopscotch, Goli, and Trading Cards. This was the Singapore in which Kaiming spent his childhood. This boy was very independent. He had no father to hover over him and control him because his father, being a sailor, was overseas most of the time. Kaiming spent much of his free time outside the flat in the neighbourhood, playing with his peers. His elder sister was a cashier at the Jurong Drive-In Cinema, a novelty at the time, having opened barely three months back. He had not been there before, but had heard from his sister how big the screen was. Every night, cars were queued all the way from the front gate to the main road, several blocks away and the movies were always sold out. Hai Ming, Hai Ming, his mother bellowed again. Her plump figure gave backing to her loud voice. She had been father and mother to him most of his life, as his father was never around. But still, she had carried out her duties quite well. Hai Ming, although mischievous at times, never committed big scenes like stealing and smoking. Kaiming poked his face into the kitchen. What is it this time, mother? Kaiming, tomorrow we are visiting your uncle Chiam. Do be on your best behavior or I'll give you some kuitiao to eat when we get back. Of course, by now, Kaiming was looking very squeamish indeed. He had eaten lots of kuitiao before and never once liked its taste. His legs still bore the cane marks left behind during the last meal. He scampered off at once, out through the corridor and up to the fifth-story landing where his khakis were waiting for him. Why are you late again? asked Chun Huat. Uh, uh, I had to help my mother pound the chili, came the reply. I, uh... Don't let's waste time anymore. We have to be on the hill by 10, and we are already late, cried Juke. Chun Huat and Juke were Kaiming's best pals. The three of them were neighbours and also attended the same primary school, New Town Primary School, a 10-minute walk away from their block. But it was the school holidays and the school was closed. Kaiming was the tallest of the three, his lanky legs provided most of the support for his thin frame of a body. 
He had well-pressed hair, which smelled of the brew cream he had applied. Just above his forehead, his hair trailed off into a neat curry puff pattern. He wasn't much of a talker, as he was reserved and shy. Chun Huat was the exact opposite. His mouth was like a machine gun, always shooting and never stopping. His bubbly round face seemed to match his equally bubbly legs. He also had a curry puff hairstyle. Jude was the shortest of the trio. He had short, straight hair. His cute, adorable looks always managed to attract the attention of the assholes around the neighborhood. They would come up to him and pinch his cheeks, as if these were displayed for sale in a store. Still, he wasn't ever met with them. In those days, in the late 60s, children did not have much pocket money. Most families were poor, and the three were no different. Between the three of them, they only had 15 cents. Still, it could get them some ice balls to cool them down in the sweltering June heat. The walk to the hill behind the block took half an hour. They had to meander through a sandy path past an old cemetery and a temple to the top of the hill. It was already 10.30 a.m. and the heat was almost unbearable. The boys stopped under a tall ficus tree and put down their things. From there, they had a bird's eye view of the whole area. The Chip B estate nested just below their block, which was built on the back of a steep slope. There were many Angmos walking around down there. Some Angmo children were playing on the road outside their terrace houses. Kaiming had heard from his mother that these people were families of the British soldiers stationed in the country to help protect it. Kaiming tried to match the children's looks with the descriptions of British children described in Annie Brighton's books. How accurate these were. Annie Brighton was really good at what she did. Kaiming, Kaiming, don't dream. We have lots to do, exclaimed Juke. On the other side of the school was a path which led to the Hawker Centre. By the time the boys had reached the Hawker Centre, they were very thirsty and famished indeed. As they did not have much pocket money between them, they settled for an, an ice ball each. It was already past lunchtime, and their parents would be worried sick. Though people were poor then, the family was all important, and children, especially the boys, were treated as small emperors. The ice balls quenched the boys' thirst. They were pure heaven to them, but they melted all too quickly in the hot weather. In barely a few minutes, the ice balls, which the boys had to use both hands to hold earlier, had been reduced to a trickle of water. Still, it had the boys lapping it all up as they trod back to their block across the road. The three boys reached their favourite spot, the landing on the fifth storey, and they hovered there for some time. They were hungry. Still, they hated to go home. It was lonely at home. All three had no brothers to play with, only elder sisters to nag at them. 
It was while they were stretched out with their butts on the floor and their backs against the wall that Kerpao Singh happened to pass by. He was almost 14, which the trio was only 11 even. He was also a bully, and they all hated him. Standing at 1.68 meters, he was a head taller than Kai Ming, the timid one. What's in that bag? Kerpao roared. None of your business, retorted Juke. This whole block is my territory, and everything that happens here is my business. Says who? Says this fist of mine. With that, Kerpao fisted Juke on the shoulder, catching the little boy off guard. The surprised Malay boy landed a jab in Kerpao's groin. He couldn't hit anywhere else. He was too short. And that started a free-for-all fight in which even timid Kaiming got involved. It was three boys against one. But all that was seen was one big ball with sticky legs, arms and heads rolling on the floor. But the boys were no match for Big Kapal, who jabbed most of the time. This time round, Kaiming got the worst. A punch on his nose from Kapal while he was grabbing hold of Kapal's neck caused blood to ooze from his nose, non-stop. The brawl ended just as quickly as it started as Kopal, realizing the seriousness of the whole thing, ran back home. Home to him was two stories down, in the corner flat. By now, Kaiming's shirt had been blotted with blood and the other two boys were at a loss. It was the first time they had seen so much blood. They were frightened. Kaiming was equally shocked and stood dazed, with his fingers smudged with blood. Juke at last tore off to Kaiming's flat on the fourth story and knocked on the door. Kaiming's mother, who was in the kitchen, washed her hands and opened the door. Quick, auntie, something's happened to Kaiming. There's blood all over him. He brought her to the landing where Kaiming was. Ayo, what have you done this time? So much blood? Kaiming could not unzip his mouth. Still screaming with shock and disbelief, she took him home. The other two boys made themselves scarce. Back home, Kaiming's mother placed Kaiming sitting upright with his head bent backwards to stop the blood from flowing. It took some minutes before the blood stopped oozing out but it took all afternoon for his mother to stop her scolding. That was Kaiming's first nosebleed. It wasn't his last. He would soon find out that his nose had a propensity to bleed equal to his propensity to get into mischief when he was with his two khakis, Chun Huat and Ju. After an early dinner, Kaiming brought out his homemade La Yang, and sauntered to his favourite spot on the landing. The three boys had earlier planned to rendezvous for an evening of Layang flying downstairs in the open field. The sun had set, but the concrete frame of his block still felt hot. However, a little breeze had found its way from the south to the surrounding area as there were no blocks of flats in front of his block to hinder its movement. Kaiming greeted his two friends, 
were spread on the floor with the glass string laid out. Both were winding the string onto a short, thick stick. There you are. We thought you were not coming, said Chun Huat. How's your nose? Did you eat kway teow just now? Let me look at your legs, started Jude. Jude had been worried all afternoon. He felt he had let Kai Ming down by disappearing so soon and leaving Kai Ming to answer to his mother. Kai Ming could only smile. He couldn't let out that his mother was all noise but no action, that his mother had fallen on him as he was her only son, that she would rather starve than let him starve. All things said, she couldn't bear to cane him. That night, Kai Ming couldn't sleep. It was too hot to sleep. He tossed and turned in bed, thinking about the happenings of the day, the nosebleed, the torn layang, everything. Finally, he got out of his bed, which was actually a foam mattress placed on the cement floor. His mother was snoring away by the window. The fan was droning away, beating the hot, humid air. Big Sister's bed was empty. She was still working at the cinema and would not be back till past 3 o'clock. He sidled into the living room and opened the front door. The air was cooler outside in the corridor. Loud snoring interrupted the night. It came from his neighbor's flat. Mr. Sami was sleeping on the floor in the living room. The flat's front door was open, but there was no grill gate. Anyone could just walk in unannounced. But nobody did when Mr. Sami was around. Kaming didn't know why. Perhaps it was Mr. Sami's size that put thieves off. He was overtowering and his waist could fit in three kapow sinks. Mr. Sami was a driving instructor by day, but sometimes double up as a bouncer at the nightclub along Serangoon Road. But tonight, he wasn't at work. Kaiming liked Mr. Sami. Perhaps it was because Mr. Sami had a television set in his living room, and every now and then Kaiming would invite himself into the flat to watch television. He didn't mind what programs were showing. In fact, most of the time, only Tamil programs appeared on Mr. Sami's television screen. Kaiming was happy just to be able to watch television. There were few television sets in the country at the time. A television set was a luxury that few could afford. The television sets then only showed black and white programs. Color television had not quite found its way into Singapore yet. People who were fortunate to have neighbors with television sets often crowded themselves into the rooms where the television sets were. Many children who were not privileged to have such neighbours, had to content themselves with just listening to the sounds emitted by the television sets in nearby flats on other floors. These children were huddled together in the corridor, below the window, just outside such flats with television sets. They had their ears pressed to the wall. But it was common practice then 
and no one felt out of place. The children outside had their bit of entertainment, albeit incomplete, and the occupants of these flats with television sets, knowing perfectly well there were people outside in the corridor, relished the pride of having owned such a luxury. Coming like Mr. Sami for another reason. Mr. Sami often took him out in his car, a Morris with signal lights on both flanks which flap up to indicate left or right turns which Mr. Sami was making. Kaiming had on occasions also accompanied Mr. Sami's family when they went to the temple to observe Taipusam and other Indian religious festivals. Kaiming liked these occasions for their riot of colours and the strange practice of sticking needles into body flesh. Kaiming, what are you doing out there? It's already one o'clock. Why aren't you sleeping? It was his mother again. She had awakened to answer nature's call and found his bed empty. Reluctantly, he turned in for the night. So you have just listened to my short story, Reflections. Reflections continue in part two under the title Primary Blues.